United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. I'm Julie Mason. Thousands of people protesting in Madrid ahead of a June 29 NATO summit upcoming. A little more fraught than usual. Joining me now, Dr. Donald N. Jensen is Director for Russia and Strategic Stability at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Dr. Jensen, welcome back. Good morning. I'm at my coffee, ready to talk. Oh, so glad. So it really feels like the NATO members thought this was going to be a really smooth glide to get these new members into the alliance, hit a snag with Turkey, Erdogan really digging in his heels. Uh, now protests in Madrid. This is uh, this is not my uh, this is not the George Bush's NATO summit. This is like <laughs> a whole new animal. It is indeed. It is indeed. I think the bigger issue here is the the admission of. Uh, Sweden and Finland, the Turks, mm. as you say, are putting up some objections. Uh, frankly, they're pretty serious. And, but mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, there will be a day, uh, a deal, if not this week, then soon, that irons out the uh, the problem. I know the the Turks are talking to other NATO members and the United States. So I think I think at the end of the day, we'll have them in. It's just been, as you said, just absolutely unexpected. And Erdogan is a very clever guy mm. that's trying to milk the situation to help his own country. And frankly, his own rule, which is a little weaker than it has been in the past. Yeah, with that terrible inflation in that country yes. as well. What, do you, what, yes. does he, what does he want? Like, what's the ask? What, what, how do they buy him <laughs> off and get him along, on side for this deal? Well, I, I'm not sitting at the table, but I would say they want a, situ- a, a deal where he can uh, remove his veto in exchange for some kind of diplomatic change in the, he says, terrorist, we would say Kurdish representation in, in Sweden in particular. So I think it can be there, but it would require Sweden to to uh, back off a little bit from its support for that group. Uh, as you know, Turkey regards them as a terrorist group. A lot of other people do not including myself, but mm. despite the fact that, uh, uh, you know, it's a very complicated situation on the ground. So I think there will be a deal in that in that regard. But the bigger pro- issue, the bigger problem, the bigger challenge with Erdogan is that Turkey is, uh, while a, an important NATO member, Turkey also has pretty decent ties with Russia. And mm-hmm. and uh, it, this has come to a head over Ukraine where, where the Turks – uh, support Ukraine in some ways, but support Russia in, in, in bigger ways. And so he's, he being Erdogan is negotiating a fine line between the two. Certainly the Turkish, uh, predominant influence in the Black Sea is, is a critical geostrategic issue. So he is, he is straddling as he always does. And he's got arms purchases from Russia on his mind. He's got the Kurds as we just talked about. He's got, Turkey's, I think, sometimes own frustration with the other NATO members. And frankly, he's got a lot of concerns about what's going on in Syria. First, the migration, the wars going on. So the Turkish position, while uh, uh, not sympathized with by a lot of alliance members, it's understandable if you're sitting in Ankara looking at the situation, even if we may not agree with it. Uh, I was I I was troubled when I saw that one thing that Erdogan was looking for was that uh, Islamic cleric who's hiding out, I believe, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Gullen, which which puts the U.S. like right in the middle of whatever Erdogan is looking for. The U.S. has refused to turn that guy over. 
And I, I, I'm glad they have been. We cannot do that, I think. But this issue, Julie, has been on the table for five or ten years. This is not mm-hmm. new. I think he's throwing some spaghetti against the wall, if I can use my own ethnic heritage, and <laughs> seeing what sticks. I don't think it's a deal killer one way or the other. They can agree to talk about it or whatever. But I think the real issue is the Kurds, is uh, 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 the other issue that I mentioned. So, But... You know, it took everybody by surprise at a time, Julie, when we don't want to be surprised given the challenge from the East. So it's mm. been a been a difficult diplomatic process. But uh, even if he continues to go into the uh, wobble a little bit, I think we're going to get at the end of the day, the Swedes and the Finns uh, in in NATO. Now, in the meantime, um, Ukraine, uh, uh Putin, they've been uh, attacking Kiev, uh, concurrent with the G7 leaders meeting in uh, Germany. I think not a coincidence. And also Russia defaulting on their debt and uh, other developments. Um, The war, you know, one of the things that has really bedeviled coverage of this war, Dr. Jensen, is that Kiev is only telling us good news. Right. We only get the positive updates from the Ukrainians Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as it's really hard to gauge what the status of the war is. You're absolutely right. And, you know, Julie, this came to a head in the uh, uh, the coverage. Now, I would say coverage partly because the media has been a little bit responsible for this. Others have, too. I don't want to criticize the media per se, but the coverage about the taking by the Russians of Severodonetsk, which is that that pretty important city in the east and people made it like it was the battle of stalingrad (laughs) and uh it's important operationally it really has little to do in the over with the overall outcome of the war i think it's just another example of the russians destroying everything within artillery range grinding forward ukrainians to taking severe losses as you said and then pulling back to a more defensible position what matters is really the bloodying of the russian army the fact that they have not accomplished their objectives, even there as fast as they wanted. That's not to say they won't in the end, but this grinding, grinding pace is not good for the Russians either. But you're very correct that the the, the, the casualties on the Ukrainian side are very closely guarded by Kiev, and they are, by all uh, accounts I see in the media, pretty high. They're not as high as the Russian uh, accounts. Uh, casualties, the Russian losses, which are considerably higher, to, uh, no matter who you ask, NATO or the Ukrainians. So what are, where are we? We are in a grinding war of attrition with the Russians relying on their uh, uh, artillery superiority, their greater numbers. The weapons are really, in many cases, pretty inadequate. While the Ukrainians are relying on their morale, the fact they're defending their own land, and Western assistance. And that means that the war will likely go on for uh, some period of time, but it also means Putin is is, uh, counting on the the faltering of Western assistance and political support for Ukraine as a factor in letting the Russians prevail prevail in the end. And that's what you see on the uh, discussed this week, G7 and NATO. I think you saw Boris Johnson, you saw the Mm. U.S., Talk about the need for unity. And as you know, and I know, we've talked about it before. There are some members of the G7 and the NATO alliance that are not as uh, avid supporters of Ukraine for various reasons. And that's what they're trying to keep 
on board. And I would make another point, Julie, on all of this, which is, goes back to the beginning of the Biden administration. Uh, they put alliance management, especially with the Germans and French, very high on their foreign policy agenda. Mm-hmm. And I understand why. And that means every step forward, whether it's uh, the bond issue or arming Ukraine, every step forward requires all the members of the NATO alliance and large part the G7 to go along. And that means painful, sometimes tedious, sometimes slow negotiations, but it slows down the ability of the West to react quickly to what Putin does. So far, they've done a great job, I think, but it does mean their calculation is a little bit different and more complicated than it might first appear. And that's where we are now in this week. And I think the alliance is held together admirably, mm-hmm. given the different pressures on each member. Still, there's something poignant, Dr. Jensen, isn't it? Isn't there about when you look at the G7 meeting this week and Russia used to be a member, and even though... Putin bothered everyone and was very irritating as a member of the G8. It was still very important for Russia's place in the world to have a seat at that table, to be an acknowledged economic world leader and and to have had them cast out after the annexation of Crimea and then be sort of a renegade country. I, I don't mean it poignant in terms of like feeling bad for Putin, but just for how far Russia had come. And then because of his aggression now to be so far set back and out of the world order, that's it's dispiriting. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, it is dispiriting. And I think uh, uh, Russia now more than ever wants respect. Russia wants to be treated as a, a world power. But what has happened since 2014, most evident from the war now, is that Russia has sort of given up on the world order. And mm-hmm. they would rather re- blow it up, <laughs> forgive me, forgive the image, or mm-hmm. redesign it in a way mm-hmm. that allows Russia's to pursue its great power ambitions. And it realizes, I think, at long last, that it cannot, with a kind of benign, relatively calm relationship with the West, as you you correctly described it. So you're seeing a change, not only in Russia's attitude, Julie, you're seeing a change in uh, its role in the global system. And that's one reason why the U.S. and its allies always talk now about the European security architecture. You may have noticed that. Mm-hmm. We talk that, about that a lot because the, the, the architecture, the NATO, the other treaties, which we put into effect in NATO's case during the Cold War, but in many other instances since the end of the Soviet Union, that is now on the table. We don't really know how to redesign that architecture with Russia, without Russia, uh, who will be involved, and that's really what's the bigger geopolitical problem challenge right now. And this gets back to your point about the Russian uh, uh, change since 2014. Mm-hmm. If I could add another point, sure. it's, yeah. an interesting, it's an interesting content, uh, contrast, Julie, with China. China mm-hmm. is an adversary, as we're, we know, and about to restate in our, our, NATO's, in our national defense strategy, but China tends to work more quietly, China tends to expand its image, its influence, including including against the West and the U.S. in a quieter way, in a way that's more economic. But Russia is in your face, mm-hmm. and so you've got two different challenges, two different challengers, and two different ways of approaching what they see as a central problem for their country's role in the world. And we will see which one prevails. My own view, which you didn't ask me, but I'll volunteer anyway. <laughs> is that I think the Chinese view is going to, over the long term, more effective, 
perhaps not successful, but the Russians now are putting it all on the table right now. And, and if Putin does not prevail in whatever it is he has in mind, which seems to change sometimes, then I think the Putin regime is effectively over. And I mm. think he realizes that. Wow. So this issue of how the war is perceived, is Russia perceived to be winning, which has a great resonance inside the country, uh, is now critical. And that's one reason why you see sort of a, a broadening of not only the military activity, but you see a broadening of how we talk about what's going on. About six months ago, right before the war, probably the last time, we talked. We, we talked a lot about, is this primarily about Ukraine? Well, mm-hmm. it seems now to be involved, Julie, with much more. We're talking now about the security of the West and Europe and how to ensure that. And to be honest, we're not, we meaning the West, we're not all that sure because so much depends on what's going on in the battlefield in Donbass in Kiev when they rocket attack like they did yesterday. So that's really what's on the table. And it means that uh, it requires leadership from all the Western allies, some of whom have really and impressively st- stood up. Stood up, And it also means, I think, that the American people need to know what's going on in this. And the stakes, which are much more than this or that rocket system being shipped over there. This is really now about uh, security of, of Europe and ultimately the United States, in which with which we are... Uh, closely linked, obviously, but also uh, which has guaranteed our own democracy for so long. Dr. Donald N. Jensen, Director for Russia and Strategic Stability at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Dr. Jensen, a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Good to talk to you. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.